Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Atheist Experience. We are live. I'm your host, Matt Delaney. Joining me this week, John Iacoletti. Howdy. Welcome to the first Atheist Experience from the United States, where marriage equality is finally a reality. Woo! Yeah, woo! I even have like a rainbow on my coffee cup, although evidently it doesn't work too well. I don't know. There's probably some green screen stuff coming through. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, we are we are live. Uh, I don't even know the date. What's the date today? 28th. The 28th? Really? Yeah. It's that late in the month already? Ah. Anyway, this is the Atheist Experience. It's live out of Austin, Texas, a public access TV show. The number that you can call to reach the show will appear at the bottom of the screen, although the lines are actually full. And uh, it's been a crazy busy week. This morning, the ACA hosted a screening of A Better Life, uh, the film um, from Chris Johnson, who's sitting here with us. And it's based on the book, A Better Life, with 100 atheists talking about joy and meaning in a world without God. Um, there's, I don't know what else is what else is going on that I had to announce, but we were going to talk about uh, copyright as it relates to the show real quick yeah. before we got to callers. Yeah, um, there's a lot of confusion on YouTube about what you can clip from the show and what you can't. We just wanted to spend a couple of minutes. Um, apparently, that's not well understood, at least in, in the YouTube community. So this, the Atheist Experience is a copyrighted program, just like any other creative work. It's copyright, copyrighted under U.S. laws and enforced by international treaties. Um, that means that you can't copy it without the permission of the copyright holder, which is the atheist community of Boston. Um, we, but we, we, we realized that a lot of fans came upon our show by seeing a clip that somebody posted to YouTube. We don't want to discourage that, so we give blanket permission for you to post a clip up to 10 minutes long, no more than two clips per episode to your own channel. As long as you don't monetize it, try to profit from it, you, you automatically have that permission. Which was always the case, by the way. I mean, even so, or once upon a time, the show was released under a Creative Commons license, which was kind of like a share and share alike, so they couldn't monetize that. Right. And yet people did. And so we would, you know, say, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. And uh, it finally got just like way out of hand. Yeah, uh, which is, I mean, on the one hand, the show is popular and that's great. On the other hand, there were a whole bunch of people making money while we were having to ask people for donations. Uh, like, we'd like to keep the show going, please. Yeah, exactly. Um, Creative Commons for our older shows doesn't mean you can do anything you want with it. You can't profit from it. So as of December 15th, 2013, we're no longer under a Creative Commons license. So it's just a regular all rights reserved license. So any shows newer than that, uh, which would be... Uh, anything greater than episode 843, uh, you, it's not Creative Commons at all. So um, the, your rights to do with that material is a lot more restricted. And again, uh, you just need to have permission before you... If you want to do anything outside of what we give you blanket permission for, just ask us. Um, if you're not trying to make money from it, you know we're likely to, to be pretty agreeable. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of other misconceptions that I could go through, but we don't want to, uh, this is kind of a dry topic, so yes. I don't want to belabor that. But, uh, you know, fair use doctrine only applies to small segments that you use for the purposes of criticism or education. You can't say, well, I'm claiming fair use, so I'm going to live stream your entire program, and then I'm going to add a little bit of commentary at the end. 
Yeah. No, that's not fair use. The big thing, the big thing about fair use, though, is that there's like a subjective element to it. How much of this content? So is it a percentage, or is it you've used less than a minute, or whatever else? And so rather than kind of worry about fighting all of those battles, that's why we came up with the, uh, or you guys came up with the uh, ten minutes of this, ten minutes of that. Boom! Anything more? Just email and talk to us. Um, what's the so for people who are posting stuff to, to YouTube? What's the process that you go through to to let them know that, hey, we'd like you to take this down or we're going to submit a DMCA or whatever? That's a good question. Um, if if you post something that f- falls uh, outside of our permission, you'll generally get a note on the video itself saying, please take this down, with a little pointer to what our what our guidelines are. If you ignore that or don't respond to it, I... And it's usually me who does the flagging. I'll wait a few days so that you've had time to to get the note and do something about it. Um, then I'll go ahead and flag it with YouTube. Uh, after that, it's it's YouTube's process for what they do, and uh, they have some some guidelines that they go by when a video is flagged. There's an ar- arbitration process. They might restrict your channel on what you can do with it uh, for a certain amount of time. I believe it's six months. If you get more than three copyright strikes on your channel, YouTube may remove the entire channel. So, so it's serious. You don't want to ignore those requests. The big thing is, it's pretty easy. You can post little clips. Don't post, you know, more than two clips a show. Don't go over the ten-minute mark. Uh, and if you need to for something else or some other project, email and ask, and you know, get it sorted. Yeah. That's all there is to it. All right. So uh, I actually see that we have callers on the line. Um, so we'll. Dig in there. We've got Brian in Santa Cruz. Thanks for waiting. Hello. Uh, not very well. Not very well. I'm, so you're kind of garbled, and I don't know if it's a problem with your end or ours. Can you try and talk a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm sorry. We can't actually make any of that out. It just sounds like. Uh, hopefully, it's. I'll try. Let me try another line. Uh, you might try and call back in, but they're not going to be able to do that. Um, let's try Jasper in Detroit. Hello? Whoop. Somebody pushing the wrong button in the studio. Hello? Jasper? This is live television, Hello? folks. All right. So... Um, So once upon a time, um, let's see. Let me try another one here. Chris, hello. You, Chris in East Bay, are you there? I heard a hello, hello there. I heard. I heard a hello. Jerry Line Three. Yeah. Jerry Line Three. Jerry Line Three. Yes. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Hi, um, nice to talk to you, Matt. Is this Jerry or? Yes, this is Jerry. Okay. Okay. Um, first of all, I'd like to say I'm a big fan of the show, so thank you for doing all this. I think it's a great benefit to a lot of people. Um, Thanks, Jerry. The Thanks. Per- yeah. The the first question I had was I watched a debate that you had with um, Jay Lucas and. 
I know you said before that you believe that universal moral objective values exist. So and um, so so not quite. Um, okay. So, well, go ahead and go ahead and ask the question, and, and I'll try and clarify then after that. Sure. Okay. So, um, Jay Lucas brought up a point that wasn't uh, completely answered because the conversation kind of got off track, as most of those usually do. But um, the question that he had was, how can there be these values if our consciousness is based on physical processes that can vary um, sometimes greatly between different people. So, so there's still physical processes. Are you saying that these physical processes are somehow subjective? Are the, are the physical laws of the universe subjective? Uh, no. So, so we are physical beings in a physical mm -hmm. universe governed by physical laws. Is there anything subjective about how these laws work? No. So if these laws govern all of our activities, all of our actions, and the consequences of our actions, there's nothing subjective about that either, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Okay, so if some of these actions uh, are in our best interest and some aren't, as, as, as in whether or not they, uh, you know, uh, encourage us to survive and thrive as opposed to floundering and, and uh, marring away towards extinction. Those are objective facts about the universe as well, right? Mm, okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Okay. That's the only. That's the only grounding that I'm talking about um, with regard to objective morals. If you if you take a look at it from like another perspective, um, when we talk about health and we talk about is this diet healthy or unhealthy? Nobody ever says, hey, why do you care about health? It, you know, why? It's just subjective that you should happen to care about health. They just recognize there are objective facts about what's healthy. If we talk about fairness and somebody says, is this fair or is it unfair? Um, we can have a conversation about that because we begin by noting we're talking about fairness. And nobody says, oh, well, why do you care about fairness or why should you care about fairness? Those, those questions don't come up. And yet somehow when we talk about morality, which is, I'm, I'm with Sam Harris in, in saying that if we're going to talk about morality with any sense or meaning, it must necessarily relate to well-being, which may be ill-defined, and what you care about may in fact be subjective. There's no requirement that you care about well-being. But if in fact we do care about well-being, we can then have conversations about the objective facts of reality and how they relate to well-being and it doesn't just become a matter of opinion okay that's so, that's okay that's my take all right well thank you um i did have one more question if that's okay sure because I've, uh, I've got a list here that's not showing anybody else okay all right um so um in the past um jim and russell had a show talking about not calling christians stupid and i'm not trying to do that but it certainly um, does appear that there's a lot of logical inconsistency. And what, what I don't understand is how um, CS can deal with these or even work around them. And uh, maybe you would have an answer because I know you were a Christian for a long time. But um, it, it, for example... It comes, it comes down to, comes down to the to the presuppositions you make. If you believe that there's a magical being who can violate the laws of nature, then all of a sudden anything becomes possible. And if you're convinced that this is true, then the fact that something might seem unreasonable to somebody else doesn't mean that it's obviously unreasonable to you. 
I understand that, but I mean, they still apply certain standards of evidence to other things in the real world that yeah. that don't require that supposition or don't where that presupposition isn't necessary. Well, yeah, it's it's a case of special pleading, and this is one of the things that I keep trying to point out. Is there anything other than their religious claim that they would believe based on the same foundations that they believe the religious claim? Right. And yeah. and the answer is generally tends to be no. Although they will try to come up with analogies, if, you know, when they talk about faith, um, well, you have faith that this chair will hold your weight. Well, uh, you could call that faith. I trust that this chair will hold my weight for a number of reasons. I mean, but I don't assert that it is just simply a fact based on trust that this chair will hold my weight. It's possible I could sit in it and it could break. I recognize that this is a possibility. The 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 positions that we hold about reality are not only tentative, they're probabilistic. I'm not asserting this chair will absolutely hold my weight. I'm saying based on the bulk of evidence, the fact that I've sat in this chair before and seen other chairs and I know how they're weight tested and I know what the standards are and how companies try to build stuff so that they're at least safe enough to avoid a lawsuit or at least to avoid too many lawsuits. And all of these things together lead me to some strong likelihood that this chair, assuming it hasn't been tampered with, which you can investigate, will hold my weight. Now, if you want to say that that's faith. Okay, I, I don't think that's the best label for it because it's definitely a completely different type of faith than what people want to use to justify right. their religious belief. Yeah, but, well, I mean, I have a friend that I talk, um, I talk about these things with him all the time. We talk for hours, but um, he, one of his reasons that he believes in God is because, and I'm, I'm not joking here, um, he prayed six different times um, when it was the middle of winter and he didn't have a coat. He prayed for the weather to change, for it to get warmer, for it to stop snowing, something like that. And five out of the six times that he prayed, the weather actually changed. I feel like I've and, heard this story on a call before. Oh. I, I really, I mean, I, you know, 900 and some odd, how many, I don't know how many shows we're up to, but I just feel like I've heard that before. Maybe somebody emailed about this. I'm, I mean, I've never, I've never heard of that, but that was just my friend that said that, and I just. So he's basically he's saying God seems to be saying yes five out of six times. The sixth time, did did God just say no, or that? That's what I'm wondering. I don't understand how they can like accept that. And when you were a Christian, I don't know bias. why exactly you believed. I know you say you didn't have any good reason to. Well, I never but, sat around in the cold and prayed for you know warmer weather and just had it happen. Right, but but there's something that you're either you're either ignoring your other usual standard of evidence for believing something. Yeah. Or, yeah, and I don't understand that. That's what John was just saying. Yeah, it's confirmation bias, but but I think the reason people compartmentalize religious belief is because they really were told that that stuff was true before they reached the age of reason and rational thinking. So it's it's really imbued a lot deeper than their their kind of logical analytical mind. It's, it's almost like it's different synapses, and so mm. they 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 hold on to this and they and they create a special category. Okay, well, this is religion, this is faith, this is different. And I think people really don't apply the same standards to it because in their mind it's different. It's it's like a different realm. I've even heard of, uh, what is it, magisteria or something. It's described in fancy terms, non-overlapping, non-overlapping magisteria. magisteria yeah. But it's basically the same idea, just trying to make it sound scientific, that 
uh, God and religion are different, and they and they're not subject to being uh, analyzed that way. Well, the one thing about that particular example is that it's a really poor scientific test. If we just yeah. did something five times in, or six times, and five out of six times we got a positive result, what can we conclude from that? Well. I don't know that you can necessarily conclude anything from that. Did he try, for example, praying to other gods to see if it was answered at a similar rate? Did he get other people involved to do this? Because there have been proper double-blind studies about the efficacy of intercessory prayer. And it turns out that it uh, works at the rate of chance or worse, depending on whether people know that they're being prayed for. It turns out if people know they're being prayed for, it works less. Uh, I don't know if, if, if they're get better anxiety for what if, what if I don't get better, will prayer look like it doesn't work, actually makes it worse or not? But just, it's, it's kind of like the, ah, I prayed and God helped me find my car keys. Well, I'm willing to believe that you prayed and I'm willing to believe that you, ex- you found your car keys. Right. What justification do you have for saying that God in fact helped you find your car keys? Because so far as I can tell, we have no mechanism to confirm the existence of the supernatural or that the supernatural can interact with the natural, or that the supernatural, in fact, does. I mean, I did, I did, a, I did two videos that relate to your call on my YouTube channel. One of them is about faith and how, you know, is there anything that you couldn't justify by faith, the type of faith? You know, if I, I, if I gave everybody in here a quarter and had them all stand up and flip and said, okay, if you, roll, if you flip the tails, sit down, and we kept doing this. Eventually, we'd get to the one person who wrote, who flipped heads, 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 heads. However many times it takes. When you have a bigger audience, you're going to get to much further. An audience here, we might go through maybe four tosses or so, maybe five, before everybody has you know flipped at least one tails. You get an audience of six or seven hundred people, and this is something that I'm hoping to do at some talk later on. And you can show that hey, that one person just flipped heads nine or ten times in a row. That's amazing. It's completely impossible. And if all you do is focus on that one person rather than all of the other people, you have something that looks miraculous. And when you focus on the bigger picture, you have something that looks utterly mundane and obviously normal. Yeah. Well, and five out of six times isn't that remarkable either. Like if you did the coin flip uh, six times and you got five heads and, you know, one tails... Well, if you only do that once, it sounds pretty remarkable. But if you do it 32 times, you'll see that, you know, that's just, that's the odds of that happening. Yeah, the small number, small sample size there. But Right. And, and I also asked, like, what would happen if you prayed for it to be 90 degrees and sunny in the middle of January? You know, what, if that actually did happen, um, and you prayed for that to happen, and that actually did happen in the middle of January or something like that, I think that would be remarkable and possibly more, um, I don't want to say more proof of that it worked. but So it, it would certainly be a, an amazing result. But yeah. what conclusion can you draw from it? At, at best, see, this is somebody actually emailed me um, this week um, about miracles in Catholicism. And these have been... Most of them have been studied to the extent that they can be studied. That Sometimes the church won't allow some things. Sometimes this thing happened in the past, so you can't really investigate it. But the most that science could conclude is that we have some result that does not fit with our understanding of the universe. And so we have no explanation for this. Science can't get to the point of, oh, the explanation is God did it. 
the explanation is something supernatural influenced this. You have because you have no mechanism to say that. All you would end up ever as far as you could get was we have no known explanation for this, which doesn't mean that anybody is ever justified in claiming their God did it any more than they are claiming that there's a. Uh, a group of aliens who are running a scientific experiment on the Earth, and so they're hiding out uh, just on the other side of Mars, and they have this beam that will come down and occasionally mess with the way things work down here just to see how right. they react. I mean, how did you exclude that possibility? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you guys very much for Thanks, your Jerry. time. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. All right, we've got um, Chris in East Bay. Hello, this is Chris from the East Bay. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Chris. Thank you for accepting my call. I uh, came upon your program um, on YouTube, uh, like so many other people have, and uh, just to glean knowledge from the subject, that's what I've been uh, uh, doing. And uh, as a result, you know, it it compelled me, you know, to come forth and um, shed some light on the subject. I had the gentleman, when I called earlier, he uh, asked if I, um, he wanted to know if I was a theist or atheist, and I would, I told him I wanted to refrain from that because I didn't want uh, to face a bias or a prejudice stating what I was. Well, then you're clearly and, not a Christian. What's that? Then you're clearly not a Christian because any good Christian would not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ for its power. I'm just messing with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a bit okay. of a joke. Sure thing, guy. No problem. Uh you know, for the sake of brevity and, um, you know, out of courtesy for the audience, me- other audience members, I don't know what type of people listen to this program, but um, I would like to stick with one topic because I know that these subjects tend to dovetail into other irrelevant uh, tangents okay. because people are trying to uh, split hairs trying to prove their case, whatever that may be. Okay. I would like to establish that I am a free thinker, Okay. And I would not have become the noble, gorgeous, and very moral person that is myself if it were not for my Catholic upbringing. And modest. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't understand. I don't understand. So you're claiming that it, it's simply not possible that you could be the good, upstanding, moral person you are had you not been raised Catholic? So uh, if you no, had... that's not exactly what I said. Okay. Um, I, I don't know what you're impugning with that with that question, but no. Well, you, I would you... like to establish that I am a free thinker, and I'm not here to discuss religion. Um, what I would like to discuss is um, so so you, that you, you there is a misconception. So is that uh, I wanted to discuss Darwin or biological evolution and how it is being uh, misconstrued and how the modern scientists, atheists, however they identify themselves, that they often uh, either, albeit lack of knowledge, lack of adequate knowledge of Darwin, or that they're misrepresenting it. Now, I'll give you an example. Can, can we pause for a second? Because I, I, sure, sure. I, I know this isn't what you called to talk about, but you said something, and I'm confused by it. I'm uh, so- confused by it. I understand. Yeah, so you you said something that sounded like you couldn't have become the 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 moral person you are absent your Catholic upbringing. Yeah, I think that has a lot. Well, that's beside the point. I just wanted to establish that, but that has a lot to do with my parents 
uh, my upbringing and the foundation that I had as a child because it, it, it provided me a broad purview of uh, I, I, the world, and I can credit that to education. So, Chris, I can credit that to my moral upbringing. Chris, but I have a very. I'm sorry. So, I, I think the question I'm getting at, just for me to understand this, are you just so wh what you're saying um, could be viewed as well? I couldn't be the person I am today if it weren't for everything that happened before, in which I completely agree. For example, I I wouldn't be so. Probably wouldn't be as good at doing what I do had I not had the upbringing that I had. But that's secondary to I could not be the person I am today if it weren't for every single thing that happened to me in my past. But that's a rather trivial statement. If instead you were to say I, I couldn't be moral if it weren't for the fact that I was raised with these religious ideas about morality, then that implies. Okay, sir, I, may interject. I did not say religious ideas. Okay, okay. so what the hell is Catholic? I did not say that. What's Catholic? Catholic upbringing. I said Catholic upbringing. That's a big statement. Okay. And if it fails, so what? It, what is it about? What is it about? What, Chris? Chris? What is it about Catholic update? Sure. Uh, what is it that's about Catholic upbringing that is distinct from upbringing? Well, I, for the sake of brevity, I can tell you about my upbringing, but I don't want to. I don't know how much time is allotted. For me to so there's no allotted time okay. for callers. Callers get to stay on exactly as long as we feel we're having a useful discussion. Okay. I would like to say, because I established earlier, I'm not here to discuss religion. Okay. Okay. That's kind of what the show's about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can I discuss something else, sir? Sure. Okay. How did the atheist experience get its moniker? Um, do you recall how it came up with the name? I, I wasn't involved. I mean, the show was around for seven or eight years, I think, before yeah, I got involved. That was before my time, too, but we're atheists and we're sharing our experience, so it just kind of seemed I like I see, it. I see. That was the atheist experience only exclusive to atheist people? I mean, can I or a theist experience something from it as well? Is it only exclusive atheist people, this atheist experience? Can you benefit from hearing about the atheist I, I experience? The I'm atheist not clear experience, what you're asking. The TV show or some other ver so there's No, the TV show. Okay. Because the reason I ask is so, it sounds... The atheist experience, that title, sounds like some pretentious kind of pseudo-intellectual... Pseudo um, you know, enlightenment, you know, that, hey, we're, we're exclusive. Only we can experience that. And I was wondering if you included... That might be the dumbest, well. most pretentious pseudo-intellectual objection I've ever heard. It doesn't matter what the show is called. This this could have been just a nod to the Jimi Hendrix experience, if that sounds cool. Or, hey, we're a bunch of atheists, and we're sharing, you know, our experiences of the world with people, or we're talking, trying to, to let the world know that that atheists are people who have experiences and enjoy things, or this is could have been the atheist perspective, as in not we are uh, offering the the one true official atheist perspective on things, but an atheist perspective sure, or the perspective sure. of some. Shut up till I'm Excuse done. Me, okay, guy, look. Okay, Bye. guy, go look. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, so we got uh, Joe in Portland. Thanks for waiting through that. Hello. I do. Uh, appreciate. Welcome to the atheist experience, maybe. Hello? Yes. Okay. So, uh, 
I've been watching archive to back. I'm sorry, Joe, but your your phone seems to be breaking up. I don't know if you're on a cell phone with a bad connection or what. Let me try. Hello? You're kind of cutting in and out. Try again. Okay. Testing, testing. Yeah, it's better. That's better. I've been watching your archive on YouTube back, and I got almost to 06 before I had to quit because I couldn't stand to hear Pascal's rager or... Uh, Look at the trees anymore. <laughs> I love trees. I love the trees. And, and rainbows. Stupid argument. Um, it's it's actually it's actually it's actually an argument that I understand. Um, this whole thing about looking at the world around you, look at the trees. Is this? Isn't it amazing the world we live in? And the answer is yes. At, but the implications that they have that it's so amazing that I just can't imagine that there's a you know a natural explanation for it. It just demonstrates a failure not only of imagination on their part, but a failure of education, which may not be their fault, because we do have naturalistic explanations for these things. But even if we didn't, that doesn't mean you get to go running off to the supernatural. Completely, completely. I've got a question for clarification. You often say, Matt, that uh, rather than faith, you say, what is it, uh, a reasonable expectation based on past experience? Yeah. Why do you draw that conclusion as opposed to faith and trust? Um, you mean, why don't I just say trust instead of a reasonable expectation based on past experience? Yeah, basically. Because trust doesn't tell you that that's what you're doing. Because you can trust something without having a good reason, and I'm specifically advocating a, having a good reason to trust something. I, I mean, I could trust somebody for really, really bad reasons. That's what con artists are actually banking on. Okay, I can see that. I, uh, I really, I wanted to say both, both of you. I really appreciate what you've done. I really enjoy the show. I'm a, basically an agnostic theist, but I live my life as an atheist. When and I have all conversation, and I've used your. Well, if you're li uh, if you're living life as an atheist, I'm wondering if, if that actually means more like living it closer to a, a humanist. Because I mean, oh yes. Uh, so in that case, as an agnostic theist living life as a humanist, uh, I'm sure that the God that you're not sure that exists, that you're kind of hedging your bets on, might be proud of you. <laughs> I said agnostic deist. Oh, deist. I don't believe in a, a personal God or any kind of intercessory deity or anything like that. So, so okay. why? So this is my. So I, I hate to do this to you, and you can feel free to duck. Uh, I don't get deists at all, because okay. the, the God that they're advocating for is one that is utterly useless. It's, it's a God that doesn't manifest in reality in any way. And so, if there's something that doesn't manifest in reality, then it is its existence is indistinguishable from its non-existence. So I don't understand how anybody can have any sort of rational basis to conclude that there's some God that exists but doesn't give us any way to detect this. That's why I said I live my life as an atheist, because I don't have a rational basis. It's based totally on personal experience. It's something that I, I want to feel, I want to understand, I want to believe. It's more based... Uh, you, the uh, what is the song that you guys played uh, with Carl Sagan and uh, Feynman? We are all connected. Yeah, but we're not in any real sense. I mean, that's well, there, I there's mean, this metaphoric sense and the fact that my my actions are going to have consequences on other people. But it, this idea of some kind of cosmic consciousness that we all share is absurd. No, no, no. 
Uh, more than Neil deGrasse Tyson, we're connected biochemically, we're connected atomically. Yeah, but I, I, I'm down with all that. Why call, why, I don't know how that gets you to any kind of, anything that would be called a god. I don't. I mean, it's... So, okay, so if you're, if you're, so if you're an, I live my life as an atheist. I, when I, well, you live your life as an atheist, except when somebody asks you what you are and you say you're an agnostic deist. Well, I don't. I only said that to you. In, in conversation in life, I'm always an atheist because I, I don't have a belief in God. When I, in my own personal life, I like theism as a, as a concept of that connection. You know, when I thought the car problems, I, you know, except, I know except that except that deism doesn't have this concept of connection. Deism is a specifically about a God that doesn't intervene in reality in any way. There's nothing about us all being connected or this you know, uh, new agey spiritual stuff that ties to deism. Deism is the idea that there's some god that got it all started and then pissed off to do nothing and never interact with anybody again. That's deism. Okay. Okay, I grant you that. Okay. I'll go with atheists from now on. Cool. I win again. <laughs> <laughs> I think you always win. Uh, I don't think that uh, you've ever, you know, lost um, no, that's I've, not true. I've seen a lot of your debates, and you know whatever facile points they they do through uh, tag or any of the other crap. I don't believe that. You know that's not gaining any points. No, and and that's so that's not always true. And 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 to be frank, I've said before, and it's true. Um, I'm not overly bothered by how people label themselves. The reason I'm having the conversation with you is because you brought up this label, and I'm confused by it. So I'd yeah. like to understand why people use certain labels. And you know, if you have a discussion and. You come up with a different label, cool. But, you know, if you wanted to continue identifying as an agnostic deist for the rest of your life, uh, cool. Uh, well, not, maybe not cool, but I'm, I'm okay with it. Not that you are required to care what I think about what label you use. Yeah, I think you're entitled to call yourself whatever you like. We're just trying to understand, you know, what distinction you're making there, I guess. I, I just labeled deism. I just labeled that consciousness as the collective of... Experience the collective a connection. Uh, I don't. I don't like calling it a god, but yes, you're right. That definition of deism calls for the definition of you know, the uh, the concept of a god, and I don't like that either. So, so now, now do we want to dig in on this on this collective thing that you're advocating for? Okay. So, so you mentioned that you have this kind of as a personal experience and something you'd like. What is it that you're actually advocating? For? I mean, if you're just because you mentioned Neil deGrasse Tyson and that we're all chemicals and stuff like that, but I mean, as long as you're not adding anything more to it, I, I don't. What is it that you believe in? Why? Um, that's not something I can totally defend. Okay, no. Um, I have personal experience. It's based on, like you said, some kind. You know, I, I was a pagan for a long time. But we, we so, so what kind of personal experience? Because just saying I have personal experience, I mean, it doesn't. Everybody has personal experience. What what was the personal experience? What is it? What do you think it's with? I mean, if you don't want to answer, I, I'm not trying to force you. I'm just I'm legitimately trying to understand this. Okay, I mean, if you want to get down to the brass tacks of it, it was a psychedelic experience where I felt connected, and I. It, in, it enhanced my life. I feel like I'm a better person for that experience. Okay. For not uh, 
disregarding humanity, not disregarding animals or the earth or the universe. I feel better for that connection that I feel. That's why I, I call it Deanism, because it's not something, and you're right, I don't like that label now, um, but it's, it's through the personal experience. It's not something, and like you said, it's all chemical. Uh, I realize that as a psychedelic So, so this thing but, about this thing about psychedelic experience. Yeah. So, I've had psychedelic experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, when I sober up, presume that what I experienced is tied to reality in any way. And and when I hear from people who have these epiphanies about life, or and they want to point to these experiences, I'm always confused as to why you think. Your brain, under the influence of chemicals so that it is now functioning in a non-standard way, has clued you into something more true or more accurate or more real than when your brain is functioning normally. That's why I said I can't defend my reason why, because I know that what you're saying is true. Okay. I, I like the... Uh, and it's the same as, you know, a faith-based Christianity. I like the feeling of knowing, that, and like I said, you know, the grass Tyson put it, we're connected to each other biologically, to the earth chemically, and to the universe atomically. Uh, that is sort of my belief system. I like that kind of connection. I like that, what I would call, you know, you also use the definition of spirituality. When I was a pagan, that was the definition we used of spirituality. It was not kind of any kind of uh, cosmic deity or anything like that. It was that kind of connection that we believed in. That was the the worship that we embodied. Um, it wasn't magic or anything like that. I realize that's mostly paganism, what you come across, but it wasn't anything like that. We believed in that connection. And that was our mysticism. Terminology. Yeah, I totally get that. I've spent a lot of time with pagans because I grew up in the Unitarian Universalist Church. Uh, a lot of pagans there, um, and I've and I've had experiences of feeling connected to other people and to humanity and to you know other living beings without psychedelics. I've, you know, I've, it's a brain state that doesn't even necessarily need psychedelics, but um, absolutely. But I know what you mean, and I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's an emotional thing, um, and you know, I would just invite you to not, um, to, to appreciate that experience and not feel like you have to call it a god or, or label it in a certain way to kind of fit in with maybe people with different belief systems that attribute things like that to God. Well, one thing was when people say spiritual, not religious. I realize you always say, what does spiritual mean? Yes. And that's what I believe. Most of the pagans I've hung out with, most of the spiritual people, that's what they're thinking of. That's what they're trying to express, that connectedness, not uh, yeah, except you know, that, any kind of dogma. Except that most of the, and granted, I don't spend a ton of time with pagans. Probably John spent more time than I have. But most of the ones that I've interacted with, when, I, when they talk about that connectedness, they seem to be talking about something that they think is real and yet not real. So there's some some truer foundational reality that they've tapped into with this connectedness uh, in a sense that's not just what you're talking about, of us all being chemicals and atoms. And, uh, and it's not just the metaphorical, you know, 
if I wave my arm around, it's going to do you know things and, and affect other people here. They're talking about something else, and they use this language. And so when I when I ask people, what do you mean by spiritual? Uh, it's because the word spiritual and spirit, the words spiritual and spirituality, along with some others, have so many different usages that they're relatively meaningless. I'm fine, and I was talking about this earlier. I'm fine with the idea of like uh, the human spirit in a poetic, metaphorical sense, or even soul in a poetic, artsy type sense. When you know this wounds me to my soul, I'm not in any way advocating that I have some sort of disembodied spirit living within me. It's it's poetry, and I'm okay with that. It's when it extends beyond poetry and the metaphoric to uh, to talk about what's real, or worse, what's super real. What is the ultimate reality that most of us aren't in tune with, but somehow the mystics and, and pagans and the religious have managed to tap into that. That's when I start having objections, and nobody can ever give a good explanation or a good reason for why they believe it. So... At least, okay. at least you're not trying to. No, no, no. I, like I said, I, I couldn't justify that. I, I've heard that argument of uh, altered brain state from you, and I agree with it. That's why I said I couldn't defend it. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, thank Thanks. you very much. Could Thanks, you, Jeff. Uh, oh, could you give me a no, 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 you're done? No, 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 you're done. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. It's um, too nice to do that to you, though. Yeah, yeah. He asked, he asked you to do He it. asked, you know, and if somebody asked me to spank him, I, 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 <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. Hey, Dustin in South Central South Carolina? Yes. How you doing? Can you guys hear me? Good. Yeah. yeah, we can hear you. Hi, Dustin. Hey, I'm not going to ask you to spank me, just so you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, what I am going to ask you, uh, really, it's just for some advice. Um, because I am just now crossing over uh, out of theism. Uh, just officially called myself an atheist a couple of days ago. So uh, hey, hey, welcome back to reality. <laughs> Thank you. Um, very similar to you, uh, at least uh, Matt. Um, at least from what I know about your testimony, your story uh, out of your deconversion really is uh, very similar to mine. Um, I was raised uh, conservative Christian, um, mm-hmm. and I went to school to go into ministry, um, specifically uh, Protestant. Um, ministry, um, and believed it very strongly my entire life. Um, I was the annoying theist that was completely convinced um, and would not back down. Uh, had, had you I called was, the show previously? From, I've never, oh. never called the show. I just, just found your show um, about six months ago. That's too bad, because it would have been so cool if like, you'd have called three years ago and argued with us, and then called now, because yeah. that's happened yeah. a couple times. I might as well have because I, I've watched so many um, YouTube playbacks of your show and so many of them resonate with me. And yeah. I just keep saying to myself, wow, that was me. Or it, had I called three years ago, I would have used those exact same arguments. So <laughs> I can see myself in all of the theistic callers that uh, are belligerent and arrogant and convinced and won't take no for an answer. So I'm, uh, I'm, wondering, so, I'm wondering if you've reached out to like uh, recoveringfromreligion.org I've, I've been there, looked at it. I have yet to call, um, but I think I might. I think it might be healthy for me. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, they, they've got the hotline project now, which can be very beneficial. Yeah. But also, if there's not an actual group in your area, um, maybe you can start one. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you, you so. had a, you had an actual question. I didn't mean to derail you. No, that's okay. That's okay. 
Uh, my question is really about objectivity, and, and you had a, f a few callers ago. It was really a great segue. You talked you talk about confirmation bias and seeking things objectively. That's really what I want to talk about um, because I hate jumping to conclusions. Um, I don't consider myself an intellectual, meaning that I'm somehow arrogantly placing myself uh, on a higher mental pedestal than others. But I know that I'm a deep. I know that I'm a deep thinker, and I always have been. Um, and it irritates me when people jump to conclusions or strongly believe something without justification of that, um, which is funny because it used to be me. <laughs> yeah, um, we're in the same boat but, there too. Yeah, we are yeah. both frustrated at the way we used to be, and yeah. uh, and that gets it. So this this whole thing about you know doing your doing your diligence to make sure that the conclusions that you reach are as accurate as possible. Um, there's not like. In the past, we've probably spoken about the scientific method, and I'm sure on occasions mm -hmm. we've talked about, you know, hypothesis, you know, testing, peer review, and all this stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. th there, there are other ways to view the scientific method that don't even require you to do that uh, or, or to put it in those terms. So this application of critical thinking and evaluation to evidence is to make sure that whatever conclusion you reach is going to, it needs to be tentative and subject to revision when new information comes along. Sure. Uh, as we learned from David Hume, the wise man apportions his belief to the evidence, so your yeah. confidence level in your conclusion needs to be proportional to the evidence. But the big yeah. thing to try to avoid subjectivity is, hey, John, do, do you see that too? Yeah. Yeah. So not just to rely on yourself. This, this is where the whole yeah. thing of peer review comes from. This, this is where it come, people go out and try to replicate yeah. other people's results. I remember as a kid, you know, you were laying out on the trampoline and it looked like the moon was moving. And so the first thing you do is you start asking people around you, hey, do you see that too? There's a big problem with that, though, when those people's answers are subject to wanting to fit in and be included in all the other people who are seeing the moon move. And so you need to find ways of testing it where somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in whether or not the moon is moving and wants to be a part mm -hmm. of your little club then chimes in on whether or not the moon was moving around. Yeah, that's great advice. It's, unfortunately, it's extremely difficult in the Bible Belt to find someone who doesn't have a vested interest. <laughs> well, it, you know, that's, the, the Internet's making things like that easier. But yeah, the big, yeah. big thing is, is when you can't find that, and this is going to be the case over and over again because something's going to happen to you and nobody else is going to be around. You're not going to be able to recreate it. You're not going to be able to investigate it thoroughly. And so in every one of those situations, your conclusion should be, I really don't know what happened. I know I experienced something but it would be a mistake for me to draw too strong of a conclusion from it. So let me just yeah. file that away until I find something similar that I can investigate further and determine how these two might be com comparable. Yeah. Well, on my searches on the Internet, this, this deconversion process has been going on for about a year and a half now. So it's been very slow. I've been... I've, made, I've gone through great pains and great lengths to try my very best to be objective, um, but I'm still not quite sure I know how that works. And, and as I've been looking on the Internet, it's so hard to find anyone in the world without a vested interest. It seems like everyone has already reached a conclusion one way or the other, and they're going to be a bulldog and stick to their guns. It's so hard to find anyone who is willing to say, yeah, I was wrong. I know they exist, but I don't know where you find those people, and I want to be that guy. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I think one thing to keep in mind is that we're all subject to bias. Yeah. Uh, you know, even even if we uh, really embraced skepticism and we examine everything, we're all subject to bias. So, um, if you can just 
keep that in mind and always question your assumptions, always question what the data is telling you. Mm-hmm. Talk to people who disagree with you and find out why they disagree with you, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and listen to their arguments and evaluate it. Um, I think that's the way to minimize bias. It's still going to be there, but at sure. least, but at least it's based on something other than just maybe a gut feeling or you know, the, somebody had a really charismatic way of presenting their argument, and yeah. you, you like them, so you think they're more yeah. believable. You know, all of those things kind of can bias the way we look at things, and if Thank you can you. just kind of scrutinize everything and get in the habit of doing that, I think that helps a lot. Yeah. I feel like my process has been quite uh, quite objective. I, of course, I would feel that way because I'm, <laughs> I have a vested interest in my yeah. own process. But um, it started um, because I had, I had a, I'm going to be extremely annoyingly cliche here, uh, uh, I had a recommitment <laughs> to Jesus uh, about a year and a half, uh, and two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, which launched a, a strong desire to know the Bible deeper. Uh, and I'd read it all the way through many times and memorized sections, but that launched a strong desire to defend my faith and, and come up with uh, good reasons to um, as to why I was a Christian. And yep, we're like just, brothers. Uh, huh? We're like brothers. Yeah, I know. Uh, I've heard your testimony, and it, it, it was like a mirror image of mine. I was like, you know what? This is true. I know it. I feel it. I see it. Uh, there's people out there who need to hear this, and I need to come. I need to know that I know that I know, and, and why, and have good basis for it, and be able to defend it. So that launched a very um, deep study. Every night I got home from work, all I did was watch Christian apologists speak and uh, read books um, by various Christian apologists. And and it's funny, the opposite happened. <laughs> The, the more I read, the less I was convinced, and the more I watched, the more I scratched my head. And the more I wanted to believe, the less I could. And, and it became undeniable that I was very unsatisfied with these answers. Yeah, and, and it's, so, it's, I'm suspecting that it's probably because you wanted to have good reasons for the beliefs that you had and kept coming up short. Yes, absolutely. But so here's the basis of my question, or the, the foundation of my question, really. Okay. I, I know who I used to be, and I know why I used to believe, and I can, looking back and analyzing myself, I understand why I, why I was so convinced. And so I can empathize with those who are so convinced about theism and specifically Christianity. Mm-hmm. I get it. I, 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 don't, I don't appreciate those who, those who, those who bash theists, um, because I understand it. I, I can empathize the way that others perhaps cannot, um, even though I think there's no justification for it. But again, my question, Having analyzed myself and knowing that I used to be that, I know that I am prone to confirmation bias, just as everyone is. I know that I'm prone to emotional responses. I know that I'm prone to um, run after something that feels right and feels good and and latch onto that like a bulldog. And I don't want to do that anymore to anything that is short of truth. Um, so, and while I, while I feel like atheism is a huge step in the right direction, I would hate it if I made the same mistake again. You're so fine. How, how do I avoid how do I avoid being that gullible again? You're fine. You avoid it by doing exactly what you do. Recognize that you have the problem that you don't want to continue it, and so you you are clearly taking the steps to avoid that. I mean, uh, you are you're going to be just as neurotic as I was, and you're going to be your own worst critic. 
and you're going to keep going through this over and over and over again, and, and you'll be second-guessing yourself and rethinking it and reevaluating it, uh, probably f- for a long-ass time, maybe forever, and that's fine. Yeah. It's what I do yeah. every single day of my life. Yeah. Matt, is there ever anything that is there is there a compelling argument on the other side, on the theistic side, that ever makes you scratch your head and not not make you question whether or not you know you should be an atheist, but just say, hmm, that's a great argument. If there was one thing that gave me pause, it would be fill in the blank. Um, I don't. I, I, John, you want to? I, I've I've never cr- come across anything that made me react that way there are things there are arguments that i understand why they're compelling to people you know when when they're addressing people's fears and about grief and loss and dying and wouldn't it be nice if we could live forever Uh, i understand why those things are appealing i don't find any of them convincing Convincing. with respect to whether they're true and so there um (coughs) i think probably the closest is is probably arguments that get to first cause and origins in the universe because yeah. this is this is like a roadblock that we can't investigate beyond, and so the only real answer that we have there is I don't know, and that's yeah. particularly frustrating. And so I don't find the because what what's happening is the theists are claiming, oh yes, we do know it's God, mm-hmm. and I don't find their arguments compelling, no, but I no. definitely understand why why people <laughs> run to them. Yeah, but yeah, it, it may not be the, the big difference is. The big difference is becoming comfortable with not not becoming comfortable with not knowing, but becoming yeah. comfortable with acknowledging that you don't know, yeah, and then not pretending that you know until you do. Yep, I appreciate the honesty. That's that's really the only theistic argument that gives me pause anymore. I've, cool. I've worked through I've worked through all of them that I can can find to think of, and the only one that makes me scratch my head and say, "Hmm," is the origin of the universe. Yeah, because uh, it would be it would be really neat. It'd be it would be so compa- so wonderful to take this the ultimate question of the universe and and tie it up in a nice neat little bow like ah yep we yeah. got it it's oh it's this God thing why didn't we think of that before you know yeah. but it doesn't yeah. work that way yeah you get, you get time for one more quick question um sure um I just want to talk about epistemology uh, oh my gosh what on earth makes you think that's a quick question. <laughs> Okay. I, I, t- I tell you what, Dustin, you can you can email and you can also call back another time. I want to try to get to one more call. We only got like three minutes left. Fair enough. Thanks for your time. Yeah, reach out to Recovering from Religion and perhaps uh, find a group in your area because it, as somebody who's you know just escaping theism and, and living life, it's probably good to have people close to you that you can talk to. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Tim in San Diego, thanks for waiting. Sure, hey, Matt. Uh, why we're running out of time. But yeah, like a minute or so. That's right. Uh, I've not really called to debate so much. I've seen a number of your uh, debates on, on YouTube, uh, and most of them uh, deal with, uh, you know, the fundamentals. And, and you know, you, you, your debates are about religion, but really they're about debating science with wingnuts, and you bring a science textbook to the table, and they bring a Bible. Yep. And it's really just kind of a silly, or a a silly argument back and forth where no one's really going to win, although obviously you win on the science. So, so I, don't, I don't look at debates as a win-lose in that sense. Um, I don't think that I'm going to change my opponent's mind or even most of the people in the audience. It's about having the conversation and getting the information out to all the people who... Um, are willing to assess that information and perhaps be willing to change their mind. And it does happen. I mean, 
I, I get so frustrated when, when people say, oh, you're never going to change a fundamentalist mind. Excuse me, I was a fundamentalist for 25 years. My mind was changed, as were the minds of many, many other people who are in the atheist movement and, and active on behalf of the atheist movement. So th this yeah. idea of futility is just, I mean, it's wrong. It's flatly wrong. It's refuted by actual evidence. Um, but when you talk about debates in terms of winning and losing, I, I understand that the majority of people who walk in are going to walk out with pretty much the same view. And if they right. came in think, agreeing with one side, they're going to think that that person won the debate. And now well, there, there, there are exceptions. My question is, is why, why don't you sometimes uh, call it a, a debate a Christian mystic? Because Christian mysticism is really all about religion. Uh, Christian mystics, they interpret the Bible primarily metaphorically. They're, they're, they don't rely on the Bible as a, as a science if the question is, why won't I debate X, the answer is probably, <laughs> I probably will if you can find somebody who's willing to debate the other side. Okay, yeah, that's a problem. I don't think there's a whole lot of mystics out there. You know, it's one of those things, it's just, it's kind of obscure, although they've been around forever. Yep. Uh, that's, you know, those are the monks. Those are the guys who go into monastery. The they're, putting the, they're putting the credits up. The show, I'm un unfortunately, is over. If, uh, if there's a Christian mystic out there who wants to do a debate, maybe we can work something out. Thanks, everybody, for calling in. Thanks to the studio audience and the people who make the show happen, and Johnny I. And uh, Russell will be hosting for the next two weeks. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.